This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Worship God podcast. My name is Jody Cross, and today we are joined by our special guest, Dr. Matthew Westerholm. He serves as the Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship and the Chair of the Department of Biblical Worship at Southern Seminary. Dr. Westerholm, it is so good to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Tell us about yourself. Great to be here with you, brothers. Great to talk about, boy, uh, worship. What a great opportunity this is to be together. I'm, uh, yeah, Dr. Matthew Westerholm. I'm living here in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm married to my wife, Lisa, for 26 years in a row. We uh, uh, have three boys, uh, 21, 19, and 16. Um, I'm serving here teaching worship at, at Southern Seminary. I'm a member and elder at my church uh, called Sojourn East here in Louisville. I'm also a volunteer on our worship team playing uh, usually Hammond organ on mm. once a month at a, for our church. And uh, yeah, I've served the Lord in some churches around the, uh, the United States, um, some rural, some um, um, uh, urban in larger cities, some multi-campus, some mega churches, um, uh, some very small. And uh, yeah, the Lord has used a lot of those different experiences mm-hmm. to help me think about worship in church services from all sorts of different angles and places. Um, I got a bachelor's degree in trombone performance. We try not to talk about that. I've repented. <laughs> I've repented of the lower brass days. I also got a degree in church music as part of a double major. Then I did a master's in systematic theology, and I did my PhD here at Southern Seminary in Christian worship. So that's some of the background. Oh, yeah. I've, I've taught... Um, at some schools in Michigan and in Minneapolis. I taught at Bethlehem College and Seminary for a couple years before joining the faculty here at Southern Seminary about five years ago. Thank you. I was reflecting on our time together today and realizing, Dr. Westerholm, that you and I have known each other, I think, for about 20 years, actually. We don't get to see each other a lot, but we used to be in the same circles it flew in those circles for a while and saw a lot of each other in those days. True. It's it's like uh, it's like train tracks. It's like we're headed the same direction, but let's you know if if we cross, there's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is one of the joys of being you know brothers and colleagues in ministry that you get to see each other at conferences and just check in. So, I have always appreciated you as I was thinking about you being on as our guest today. Uh, a precision in your thinking. Uh, a soberness in your pursuit of Christ, uh, uh, just your dry wit and humor, and uh, and I'm watching you 20 years later in your journey, hearing what God's done in your life. So, thank you for being a good steward of the gifts of God, and uh, thanks for for being a friend and and just for what you're doing for the kingdom. We really appreciate that. Uh, His grace has brought us safe thus far, mm-hmm. right? Isn't mm-hmm. that the line? Mm-hmm. I'm just trusting that grace to bring us home. Amen. Well, we want to press into some of the things you've been thinking about and studying, and we're going to get into that in just a second. And as worship leaders, our job here on Worship God Podcast is to help equip 
worship leaders, those who are serving in, in music and worship ministry, uh, to to think uh, critically and to to lead well. One of the things we have to deal with is evaluating the songs we sing, what kind of songs and what the lyrics in the songs say, and deciding whether we want our church to sing those things. Jesus called us to worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, John Piper calls this the the heart and the head, and so we just can't sing uh, truth without about truth without passion. Uh, but we also don't want passion without biblical truth and if the song isn't biblically well-grounded. So one of the things you've been studying, Dr. Westerholm, is uh, something that you've called, I'm not sure if you called that or if it's just a thing, but you can tell us if it's a thing or your thing, is over-realized eschatology. And, and that, uh, that issue yeah. in, in worship music. So why don't we unpack that? That sounds like a very theological term. It sounds very high and lofty. What does it mean? <laughs> Boy, it might sound high and lofty, but I do hope once I talk about it for about 30 seconds that it will be incredibly helpful and practical. Overrealized eschatology is, um, well, let, let's just talk about what eschatology sort of is. In some ways, it's the study of the last things, right? Like the rapture, the final judgment, um, um, heaven, hell, eternity, the last things. Um, also, it has been noted that um, the scriptures, the New Testament in particular, talks about how we are currently living in the last days. Christ talks about this. Paul talks about this. All of the New Testament authors have this sense that the kingdom, uh, the, the, techn the technical term for this is um, inaugurated eschatology, which means the kingdom has already begun but we are still, it is not yet finished. And we are living at a very particular moment in salvation history right now. We are living in between the two appearings of Jesus Christ. We are living after his first appearing, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We're living after that time. And we're living before his second appearing, when he comes to judge the quick and the dead, when he makes all the sad things untrue. And because of that, we can say, because we are after Christ's first appearing, God's kingdom has already started. The end times have begun. The final thing has appeared. But because we are before his second coming, his kingdom isn't here in its fullness yet. And so this particular moment in salvation history involves these two realities, this already of God's kingdom and this not yet of God's kingdom because of these, again, these two appearings and our current moment in salvation history. So if you can kind of track that idea of just kind of reckon, musicians are usually good at this. Because we know, um, you know, is, is C a good chord or not? Well, it kind of depends on when. You know, during, you know if, it's, if it's the first, uh, the first chord of a mighty fortress is our God, then it's a great chord. If it's the fourth chord, it's a terrible chord to play. Musicians know that we need to be timely with what we're doing. And so over-realized eschatology, you can you can maybe hear inside the word, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that we over-realized eschatology acts 
as if God's kingdom is fully and entirely present now. Mm. And so it doesn't, it, it takes, it, it uses some really important biblical truth about what Christ has accomplished for us, about what the riches and blessing and inheritance that are ours currently as believers, but it doesn't leave enough room for what the Lord Jesus is going to do when he returns. It doesn't leave enough room for some of those realities. So that's what we would mean by overrealized eschatology is a uh, uh, a view of the Christian life, a view of Christian ministry, and as we'll talk about, I think, uh, as expressed in Christian worship. But it's it's a view that doesn't leave enough room for what's going to happen on the mm. second coming. Now, as a as an optimistic person, that sounds great to me. I'm like, wow, yeah, I'm Jesus is ruling and reigning, and uh, all nations are being put under his feet as a footstool. This is amazing. So what, what, what are the problems then, yeah. Dr. Westerholm, that come with that kind of theology? It just sounds great to me at, at, first, at first glance. It does sound great. And you're quoting some <laughs> great verses, but I wish you'd keep going there in Hebrews 1, which says, all things have been placed under his feet, but at the present time, we do not see all things underneath his feet. And mm. so there's this reality that, you know, sin has been... You know, uh, we, the, the power of sin has been broken and the penalty of sin has been broken because Christ has already come. And, not but, but and at our current moment, the presence of sin has not been broken yet. When Christ returns, he's going to set us free, not just from the power and penalty of sin, but he's going to set us free from the presence of sin. And, and we we miss a lot of important realities that we should see. We get tricked in our Christian lives when we don't recognize and leave space for what the Lord Jesus will do when he returns. He's not going to come back and just high five us like, good job, you did it. Uh, there's going to be some um, things that he is going to do when he comes and makes all things new at his mm. second coming. Well, I would imagine that the prosperity gospel, for example, yeah, would that be an example? Uh, maybe not a necessary conclusion, but is that an example of kind of where overrealized eschatology can lead? That's right. That's right. Prosperity gospel. Uh, the difficulty with the prosperity gospel. Um, some of some of it, a, a lot of it, is in uh, what it affirms. But I do think a lot the the parts of it that sneak up on us is the stuff that's omitted. A lot of the difficulty with overrealized eschatology isn't so much in what's being said, but in the things that are being omitted. Hmm. The, uh, the, the essential and important truths that, that need, that we are waiting for Christ's return. It, it seems to me, you know, in a marriage relationship, one of the things you talk about is, is expectations. Yeah. And if there's uh, expectations that are too high or lofty or unreasonable or unrealistic, that's going to create some problems. And so I imagine that as we explore this, and if your eschatology is overrealized in your thinking and your praying and your worshiping, and as we'll get to in, in your singing, it's, it's going to get into some difficulty things in terms of life and faith and discipleship and yeah. can spiral. So as you study this topic... And you studied in your dissertation um, this essence, this, this issue as it related to contemporary 
um, music, and I'm assuming it was contemporary new songs. Not was it hymnody as well? So I or did. I did one chapter. Songs? Yeah, I, I contrasted two different groups of songs. One group of songs, the CCLI uh, uh, top twenty-five from the year two thousand to the year two thousand fifteen. That's when I finished my. Uh, um, that's when I finished my dissertation, and I contrasted that for themes of eschatology against the. There's some. Uh, there's some work by a scholar named Stephen Marini, who has done work on the most published hymns in um, um, hymn books uh, published in North America from 19, I'm going to say, is it 34 is the first one that's published through 1850 is one of his lists. And then he did some later work till 1950. So there's a, a group of hymns of historic hymnody contrasted with uh, contemporary worship music. Okay, well, uh, we are all eager <laughs> to realize uh, to realize what you realized well, about the topic of overrealized. How do you like that? Well, that's that's Tell right. <laughs> well, what I'm, did you find? It's Tell us it's what you astounding, found. friends. The older hymnody, and I w- I was a little bit worried. I'll be honest. I had some hunches going in about what I would find, but I thought to myself, like, what if? If I don't find this, I have wasted hundreds of hours and thousands of pages. <laughs> but the reality is that, by and large, um, historic hymnody has rich, complicated, nuanced discussions of these topics, both the um, already of the kingdom and the not yet. But the contemporary, uh, the contemporary worship music, particularly of the time period that I looked at, was flat and barely talked about some of the, the not yet aspects. It had a very over-realized eschatology from that group of songs. Hmm. So um, as an example, um, the most published hymn uh, in Marini's list is um, uh, Jordan's Stormy Banks. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand. I am bound for the promised land. Who will, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. The number one published hymn. Staggering. I, I don't know how many, you know, Kevin Twitt and his indelible friends know that one well, but uh, that's slipped out of a lot of our... But mm-hmm. if you think about that hymn, it has a lot of this language and this metaphor from, like, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a picture of like the difficulties that I am going through in my life, the difficulties that I'm having in my faith, the battle, the journey, the travail. And then I'm looking ahead to, uh, you know, Bunyan would say, a celestial city. Uh, 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 Stennett would say, you know, to, I'm bound for the promised land. There's, a, there's a, an image of this is difficult now, but I'm looking forward to a day when things will be right. So I have tears in my eyes and difficulty in my life now, but I am bound. I'm looking ahead to that. And that sort of language disappears in contemporary worship music where God's presence is fully our experience right now. Hmm. And gloriously, God, we, we do have a wonderful, beautiful, and real experience of God's presence in our hearts and in our lives and in our gatherings now. But friends, that is not the fullness that we will experience when, we, when, the, when the Lord Jesus returns. Yeah. Well, this, in, like in Corinth, it led to the church denying the resurrection, because in their mind, 
it was that was something that this has already happened. Christ is inaugurated, and so the resurrection is not happening. And Paul goes, well, there's no resurrection. There's no hope. We're dead in our sins. And so this this matters. Dr. Westerholm, I'm like, what are some modern songs that you can think of that fall into that habit of, yeah. you know, we're not, we're not looking forward anymore. We're kind of living it now. Now, again, I, I don't think that the main problem here is what is being said in, uh, you know, to get out the microscope and to zoom in on the particular lyric, I think it's, that's useful in, in many ways. The larger issue that I want us to move towards is what is what's missing from the larger diet, you know. Mm. So, but as a as an example, and this is written by a, a gentleman that I I know and really respect, but uh, uh, Jason Ingram's song um, um, "Forever Rain," right? Um, he talks he's talking about difficulties, but then he he sings in verse three, "You are here, you are here. Of all else, I'm letting go." Like just such a clear and unqualified declaration of the fullness of God's presence experienced in this moment. Mm. Uh, maybe an, an, an easier way to see it would be in the Chris Tomlin. And again, I know Chris uh, isn't the only writer on this, but on his um, My Chains Are Gone verse, he uses the Newton Amazing Grace song and adds his chorus. But listen to the way that he changes the Newton's lyric on the tag. The final verse says, uh, oh boy, I'm trying to do this from memory. The earth will soon dissolve. The sun will dissolve the earth like snow. But uh, God who calls us here below will be forever mine, is what Newton writes. But, and Chris Tomlin sings that. But when he tags it, he turns it to, you are, you are. forever mine. Newton wants us to recognize the will-be future orientation of this reality. And Tomlin wants to emphasize it's happening right now. Hmm. And hmm. again, there's some beautiful reality to that. But when it, is in the, when it is in the context that omits all sorts of other parts of what we are waiting for, for Christ's return... Uh, we're we're missing things. As I've reflected on hymnody, it doesn't doesn't take much to flip through a hymn book and look at the final verse. You know, when Christ shall come, as an example. Uh, and it it seemed like hymn writers, particularly 100, 150, 200 years ago, may have perhaps, and I don't know their motivation. Maybe they were theologically more astute, or maybe they lived in times that were difficult, and maybe life stunk. And so it wasn't, it wasn't Disneyland for them. They were knowing that this wasn't the promised land and mm -hmm. nobody was going to, nobody was going to tell them it was. And so verse four was always like, Jesus come and I can't wait for the day that you return and right. make all mm -hmm. things new. And it could, I think, be easily argued that we live in the most prosperous continent in the most prosperous time in the history of the world. And so we don't have to write verse four because perhaps we feel like we're living in it. Would you say that's a fair assessment of maybe some of the, the lyrical issues? Yeah, very much so. I would say our current prosperity, the, the success in our lives um, has, has dulled some of the sweetness of those verses. And another thing to say would be, and I, I, don't have, I don't have data on this, but I have uh, anecdotes and I have a real strong hunch that some of our songwriters are a lot younger than they were. When Samuel Stennett and Fanny Crosby were writing things, they were a little closer to Canaan's land 
than perhaps a 22-year-old Tim Hughes was when he wrote, oh, happy day, happy, like, I'll, I'll bet, you know, some of those, some of those brothers or uh, young men writing some of these songs are filled with great optimism, um, but perhaps their songs will be a little bit, I think, as, as we'll watch their ministries. I wouldn't be surprised if later in their ministries, some of those verse four realities became more precious and more sweet to them. And I would hope that some of those things would start to get reflected in more and more of their songs. But to the degree, especially, that our songwriters are young and uh, uh, prosperity gospel driven, the, there's always going to be a, a, a leaning into the already parts of the kingdom rather than the not mm. yet. Well, I wonder if some of the, the, the fact that kind of psalm singing has kind of gone out of style. And within the psalms, you have the very clear theme of lament and longing and, and waiting for the Lord to, to, to come. And, and how long until that day, Lord? And, and, and those, sorts of, those sorts of concepts, we don't sing a whole lot in modern evangelical Christian kind of music. And in CCM, at least, I know a lot of traditions, there is psalm singing. And, but for, for many of us, we don't have a lot of that diet in our, our lyrics either. And, it's, and maybe psalm singing is one of these things as that has gone out of style. That's We've right. lost some of these key things. That's right. You, you have like Psalm 126. I got right here in my hand. Uh, it's got already and not yet. Like, uh, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those in a dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. Christian worship appropriately has shouts and celebration mm-hmm. and songs of joy. And verse four, restore our fortunes. Those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. So the Psalms, uh, Ambrose calls the Psalms the gymnasium of the soul. Mm. And it is a workout room to strengthen and stretch our souls and our faith. And I definitely would prescribe, you know, for answers moving forward, I would prescribe healthy psalm singing and psalm reading, but uh, not to use the psalms like a Hallmark card. Just watch out for like one verse. Yeah. Like, because guess which verse your people normally pick? It's the already verse. Uh, yeah. get, get a larger, read the entirety of the psalm and feel, you know, some of those, some of those verses are going to feel awkward, but those are the, those are, that's revealing the muscles that are out of shape. Mm-hmm. You know, we're skipping leg day a little bit in our churches yeah. <laughs> here. If we're only singing the celebration parts of the psalm mm. and, and not doing the lament and the repentance and the, the maranatha, the how long, O oh Lord, until you come mm. again. In terms of, you know, I, I love, I think Rob was saying this a minute ago, this big God, great God, powerful God that... that I think songs, even since 2015, let's talk about 2021 and maybe 2023 in just a moment, because there's a couple of movements that are big, really big on this. And do you find that this big God, he does all things well for us now. How does that translate into disappointment with God when, uh, I guess, yeah, is there, is there going to be a disappointment with God because, because our theology is, is uh, on the wrong syllable the emphasis is on the wrong spot and then what what are some implications for discipleship at that point if that happens yeah i i definitely think 
Uh, I definitely think there are, these are the main dangers. The false expectations that this is building in people, especially if I can uh, just get personal for a second. I, I've worked with a lot of college students. I think one of the reasons why people are deconstructing their faith right now, if that's even a, a term that is, is worth talking about, is because some churches have made promises, you know, uh, what, mm. did, what did Iceman say to Maverick? Writing checks that your body can't cash. Mm. We are um, uh, making promises, and some of our young believers, enthusiastic young people in the faith, uh, the seed falls a little bit on some rocky soil, and it kind of springs up quickly, and we, f- we fertilize it with some promises that, are, uh, that omit the fullness of the Scripture's teaching on things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it absolutely, we, we need to be more familiar with the Scriptures. This morning in my quiet time, I was in Genesis 23. And it's right after the end of, of Abraham's like greatest victory. You know, he, he offers uh, his son Isaac on the mountain and God says, surely I will do this. Now that I have seen this will, your, your children, nations, and the land will all be yours. And Genesis 23, the next chapter, his wife dies and he's got to buy a cave to bury her. Like he just heard the promise that all of this land is yours. And now he's buying land from the Hittites. And I just think there's this amazing reality in the Bible of seeing God's past work, but also being aware of God's future work. And when we talk about God's presence and his activity only as uh, past and current realities, we are setting ourselves up. So celebrity pastors... Celebrity mm. pastor is a symptom of this issue, because if this church is the kingdom, then that pastor is the savior. Mm. And when he is out of pocket, it's not just sad and disappointing, it's devastating, because mm. that person is the head of the kingdom. And when we have a larger category that says the the kingdom is here. It, your experience of Christ and his presence here is real. But there's also an ascension. Christ has gone away from us and he is going to return. And the sweetness and work that he, we will experience then is, is going to be richer. That's what we are waiting mm. for. You know, you can trace, you know, I think it's clear upon reflection where these songs and the movements they come from and the type of teaching that is regular in those movements, it kind of makes sense when you kind of draw the line back um, for the type of gospel that is preached. And if the preaching is always going to be, you know, God has got a victory for you today. He's got a breakthrough. Your songs are going to reflect that and they're going to start to show that. And even though some of these truths, it's almost like sometimes I hear these songs and I'm like, Okay, do you mean, if you mean that God is going to be faithful to his promises, regardless of my seasons in life, great, I believe that. But the question is, sometimes I don't know if that's what they're saying. Yeah. And so what, what themes can worship leaders look for? If they're, if they're trying to evaluate the eschatology of these songs, or maybe some of these movements where a lot of these songs are coming from, 
what what can be helpful? What should we be looking for? I, I think it requires a lot of discernment, friends. And I would encourage us to 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 um, not use microscopes, but but look at larger swaths of things. I because I do think you could look at a particular song and um, atomistically and look line by line and go check that's true, that's true, that's true, and that's true. But let's think about it more in terms of a theological diet. You know, what food groups are missing? And for me, I think if we do not have, if we, uh, if we do not emphasize and make explicit the person and work of the Lord Jesus, that, go- that Christ-centered, gospel-centered reality, then we're doing smoke and mirrors. Then the, then the word Jesus, the name Jesus, the sounds Jesus get used superstitiously instead of tied into a biblically faithful, theologically rich understanding of the person and work of the Savior. So... Mm. That would be one thing I would look for. Is there um, um, repentance of sins? Do, do we recognize the reality of the ongoing nature of sin in our lives? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Attempted, t- attempted tried, and often failing, he my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a savior. Like these older hymns had verse four, Christ is coming again hymns, but some of the sweetness of that was set up by a recognition of the ongoing nature of sin in our lives. Maybe another one would be lament about the brokenness in our world. The, the world isn't working the way it's supposed to, and we are longing for the Savior's return where he will make all things new and all things right. Um, missions would be one. There's going to be, maybe just as, a, as a, a brief way to say this, I really appreciate some of the emphasis that modern worship thinkers have made about heaven and the desire that we want worship to reflect worship in heaven. However, I think it's essential for us to say, we are not in heaven yet. And there are realities, earthly realities, that we need to address in our worship services. Um, missions. What, uh, what about false teaching? What about church discipline? What about sickness? What about disability? Uh, these are all realities that will gloriously be eliminated when we are with the Lord in eternity, but those are realities in our churches now that we need to um, be skilled and understanding of as we seek to serve the Lord. I feel like as worship planners, as song selectors, that we have uh, our hands on a steering wheel that feels like when your power steering goes. The car can still turn, but it's very difficult. And what I mean by that is, to go against the grain, to go upstream in a culture. So for example, if you surveyed 2,000 churches in, in North America last Sunday, I bet you six songs would rise to the surface. And so there is such a group thing happening because of media. So for you to say what you just said about um, injecting these other themes into our music, how hard is that when it's not Mr. Lake or Mr. Wickham or Mr. Whoever, if it's you know, if it's on Jordan Stormy Banks. So it, 
to swim against the tide of the top five or 10 songs is a very challenging thing. And um, it, it's going to take someone with, uh, I think, courage. I want you to reflect on that a little bit. And the other thing I was just going to throw in is you're talking about what's missing it was is mystery. That it almost feels like over-realized eschatology takes the mystery out of God's providence and his sovereignty and his... Uh, his counsel that only he understands. It's like, nope, we got this figured out. We know what you're going to do. We know how to pray it. We know how to say it. We know how to believe for it and let it be coin in the slot machine go. And is that something that you also saw that there's just a lack of letting God be God and doing what God wants to do without without the mystery? I I think that's right. I um, I think at its worst, the things that we're talking about pan out into superstition. And there's like a mechanical view of the universe that if I'm A, B, C, and D, then God owes me A, B, C, and D. And it's like a very transactional view of the, of the universe. And some of the prosperity gospels teaching, if, you've, if you're interested in this subject, there's an excellent book by uh, Kate Bowler called Blessed. It is her study of the prosperity gospel. She's a church historian professor at Duke University, and she's drawing on some research done by, oh, the lady's name is Catherine Albanese, uh, Republic of Mind and Spirit. These are some of the, talking about courage here and against, against the currents, the default setting of the human heart is this sort of of superstitious view that if I can just align things in a certain way, then things will work out in my favor. And the the gospel is so much better and richer Mm. and more complicated. The universe isn't mechanical, it's personal. Mm. And we have a, a creator who's a father who knows us and loves us and is working things together. So, I do think it's, it requires some courage and going against a lot of very gale force cultural winds. But, mm-hmm. but friends, the, the benefits of this are, are worth it. Maybe some of the, some of the resources that we need to uh, um, use to move against them might not be musical. There might be scripture readings here or, or corporate uh, prayers said together or prayed from the pulpit um, that, would, that would help us. It's, it's hard to find songs right now uh, without going back into the Samuel Stennett days of yore. I, I don't think a reclamation of hymns and uh, forbidding of modern songs is, the, is a real direction for us forward. But... I, like thinking through as a worship pastor, worship leader, service planner, how can I be? How can I make a healthy meal for mm. this congregation? And what do we really need? And what elements can I have to stir up a, a full-orbed expression of the Christian faith? Those would be some of the mm. the questions that I'd be thinking through. I've been um, just recently just enamored again with Psalm 23 and just, so I got a bunch of books I'm reading through it. And I think that's just a wonderful picture. If you think of that Psalm starting off with, Hey, the Lord's my shepherd. I have no wants. I, I'm lacking. I lack nothing. And then goes into dark valleys where wolves and robbers hide and he's leading us through those. And then ends up with this hosting image as we're sitting at a table where he's just generously pouring out 
a lavish treatment upon us. And there's just this wonderful picture of, I think, how we should perceive this life. And, um, and, and, and we want to live like in the last, either in the first, like I have no wants and I'm living at a table and it's just great. And I speak Jesus over my enemies and I'm free. And it's like, well, you know, life is a little more complicated than that. And so maybe as we wrap up Dr. Westerholm, you know, this is a podcast for worship leaders, worship pastors, people who love worship. What, what final word would you encourage them with on this subject? How would you just instruct us to think about this. Wow, what a great opportunity. Lord Jesus, help me. (laughs) Um, What I would say is the real Christian faith is better. It It might not feel that way initially. It might not taste good to have some of these sour pieces of of reality uh, for us to swallow them. But the Lord Jesus is wise and good and caring, and his gospel is for thirsty people, and tired people can come to him. And when we, I think by, by heralding the reality of his full gospel, we honor him and we provide the actual help for the thirsty, needy, sinful, uh, lamenting people that are actually in our pews. I think it's it's an un uh, it's an undiagnosed problem, perhaps, but it's real. And and watch out for you know, I call it the ellipsis problem, the three dots, dot 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 where you're reading through Psalm 23, Rob, like you described so perfectly, and here's the beginning, and then dot, 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 and we kind of skip over the, sh- <laughs> the dark part. And uh, friends, the, the Christian life involves dark parts that people don't get to skip. And the Lord Jesus uses those dark parts for his glory and for the growth of his church. And we are doing people no favors by omitting um, omitting these truths. Amen. I was thinking as you're saying that, uh, grace now, goodness now, Psalm 23, and full glory yet to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, holding all those things in tension and knowing their, their parts. And uh, I love what you were saying just a few minutes ago about how we supplement, maybe not the right word, but we, we contextualize a song that might be okay, but vague. Uh, or and we just we bring we bring the car back into line a little bit. A song might be okay, but we say that's not the, quite the full picture. Let's let's you know you as you said pray about it, read some scripture, comment on it, and just remind people of these things the the journey that we're on and God's um, yet unfinished work in the world and in our lives. So this has been stimulating, and uh, we really really appreciate you, Doctor Westerholm, being with us. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, uh, in a busy schedule. I'm not sure if you get any sleep at night with what you said you actually do day to day and week to week. So thanks for, for giving us some of your precious time. Oh, it's a, it's a privilege. The Lord gives his loved ones rest. Let me just tell you, I sleep great at night. I, the Lord good. loves me. And it's been great That's to good. be with you, brothers. 
Thank mm. you. Uh, just one final thing. So you're at Southern Seminary. If there's people listening at an undergraduate or graduate level, where would you direct them to find out more about how Southern is equipping leaders for music and worship ministry? Oh, that's so kind. We have online programs or uh, uh, residential programs at the master's and doctorate level. Um, at, and we have a residential undergrad program. If you're, you got a high school student that wants to be, to grow in worship skills, our program here at Boys College is just astounding. We're at SBTS, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary.edu. Yeah, we'd love to connect with anybody that would be um, interested in studying with us. Thanks, Jody. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thanks, Dr. Westerholm, for being with us. On behalf of Rob Brockman uh, and myself, Jody Cross, thanks, everybody, for tuning in today, listening to us. We love your comments. Send us your questions. And I uh, hope that you are encouraged today as you continue to keep Christ first and keep being a good shepherd to your flock as you love and lead them. God bless you. We'll talk to you again next time. Thank you. Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ-exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.